Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. We have our gospel reading. Looks like Leslie out in the woods. Today is from Matthew chapter 22, 1 through 14. Good luck, Pastor. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we continue. Um, This was just a fun comic that I saw. The title of this week's sermon is, I just spent all week working on a sermon and I got nothing. Um, Some weeks feel like that. You just either, I've said it before, I have nothing new to say, or I have no idea what to say. Um, This week was, I guess, somewhere in the middle of it all. So we continue our service with the sermon. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Pastor Tim. Uh, The parable we have this morning is the third parable in a row that we've heard. And to go back to the context, it is after Jesus has entered Jerusalem on the donkey, right? We've talked about this before. What we call Palm Sunday has occurred. Jesus has come in to great fanfare. And then he goes to the temple and as opposed to almost like this coronation, he uh, 
flips over the tables, uh, really tells off all the chief priests and the Pharisees and says how you've been uh, abusing the system. They say, where do you get this authority? And then we get three parables in a row of Jesus' answer to where, you get, uh, where do you get this authority? And essentially, each parable is another condemnation of the, the higher-ups, again, of the chief priests and the Pharisees, reinforcing what we've heard over the past. The first will be last. The last will be first. Today is what I hear Jesus being an equal opportunity offender. And if you're here with us on Tuesday night, and I point out that way because that's out toward the uh, fenced-in area with the tent, or if you're on Tuesday morning Bible study, maybe this is a little bit of review. I'm sorry, I don't have anything new from when I uh, spoke at both of those things. But here I think for this parable, uh, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. And this is why. This whole time, those people who are you would say the oppressed or the left out or the ones that are told you are going to go in first. You could see them perhaps in a way cheering Jesus on because maybe they're thinking finally those other people are getting their comeuppance. They're getting what is deserving and finally things are breaking our way. And yes, that is true. And again, this parable begins to... to share that story again, right? We have this wedding banquet. These people are invited, and they turn it down. And uh, and retribution, the king comes and murders them all and burns down the city. And then he says, go out and find all the other people, right? If the well-to-do or if the in-crowd is not willing to come to this party, I'm inviting everybody else. And so people go out and they bring everybody else in and the party is going and maybe the party's hopping, who knows. But everybody else is there. And then the king comes down and he's looking around the crowd and he can almost hear or almost see those people who are loving those first two parables and about loving this parable. Maybe they're thinking, yes, again, Jesus is going to lay into the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, and we're going to be told again, we're going in first. And this is where it has that real twist of an ending. The king comes down, he's looking around, and then he sees one of those people that isn't wearing a wedding robe. And because he's not wearing a wedding robe, he is not able to, or they are not, she, I'm assuming, Uh, just because of the context of the day, and we all have our own little sexism within us. We always call call this person a man, but this person is not wearing a wedding robe. And so the king sees this and says, why aren't you wearing a wedding robe? Why aren't you dressed properly? Come in and get this person out. Cast them into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And all of a sudden you think, maybe the king might be thinking, I'm going to come down and say, are you enjoying yourself? Is everything okay to your liking? Can I get you anything? Instead, we feel like this king is perhaps nitpicking on this person who's not wearing a wedding robe. And we're thinking, what's the big deal? They weren't even planning to come to begin with. So why would they even be expected to have this wedding robe to begin with? 
Why can't the king be a little bit more generous? And I think there is some validity to it, but I want to look at it from another way. Everybody else who seems like they are now invited, who wasn't invited to begin with, was able to procure a robe or procure the right way in order to dress. Or perhaps, some scholars think, the king would have provided the right apparel for the people to wear as well. So it's not like there was a whole group of people and nobody was able to find robes and the king said, yes, come on in, no big deal, it doesn't matter. Instead, what the king finds is that it's this one person who for some reason doesn't have it, even though everybody else was able to. And the king is upset and says, oh, if you're not going to join in, then don't, it's almost like, then don't come, then get out. And the king kicks them out. Now, I understand, and we've talked about this, scripture comes to us primarily in two ways, law and gospel. Law reveals us for who we are, right? Sinners, uh, not able to, we're not perfect, right? It's what drives us to Christ, Gospel, then, is says, despite our failure to fulfill the law, you are still loved, welcomed, and accepted. Now, all of Scripture is where we get law and gospel. It doesn't mean every piece of Scripture has both law and gospel in it. This is obviously law, right? We could be this person in the... Um, wedding feast, in the wedding banquet, and we have chosen not to participate. We see everything else going on around us. We see other things people are doing, and we're going to say, nope, not me. Showing up is simply enough. Now, we've all done that. And yes, there is judgment when our actions don't follow what we say we believe. We say we love everybody, right? And yet we don't do it. We say we want to be generous, but we don't do it. We say we want to be forgiving people, but we don't do it. We say we want to be, and we don't, right? We fail, we sin. This is what that shows us. Gospel comes in and says, God forgives. You are loved. What we need to remember, though, just because we are forgiven doesn't mean that we don't have to try and do the right thing or follow the law. Bonhoeffer called costly grace and cheap grace is what he talked about it. Cheap grace is essentially saying, I'm forgiven, so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know I'm going to be forgiven and there's no transformation afterwards. It's this conscious decision that it doesn't matter what I do because I'm forgiven. I'm going to stay the same person I was before as I am afterwards. Costly grace receives the gift, says, understands, I'm forgiven. Now, how do I, remember we talked about this before, I'm forgiven, what does it mean to be a, to live a life as a forgiven person? It means I'm loved. What does it mean to live life like a loved person? 
it doesn't mean, okay, I'm forgiven, I'm just going to go on about my day, and nothing matters. I know this quote is kind of harsh, but I really like it because it, it just... I mean, I like it and I don't like it, but it really, it seems to drive the point home and it's a little disturbing. Maybe that's why I like it. It says, going to church no more makes you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car, right? Going to church no more makes you a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. Does that make sense, right? Cars hang out in garages, so if we go to a garage, we must be a car. Christians hang out in churches, so if we go to a church, then we must be Christian. But that is essentially, my, if that's all it is, we show up, we go through the motions, and we go home. If that's all it is, are we no better than the one who shows up at the party and decides not to don the wedding robe? that seems to make a conscious decision, I'm here at the party and that is enough, as opposed to joining in. That's why I'm not as nearly concerned about do we have the right beliefs, although I think that is important. But not so much can we check off the beliefs, do you know them, can you check them off, are they memorized? But instead, what does it mean to live like a follower of Jesus? Right? If there's one thing maybe this pandemic we can learn from, when it has taken away the aspect of solely gathering physically in the sanctuary, it is making us think, if I can't do what I want so greatly associated with the primary aspect of what it means to be a practicing Christian, then what does it mean for me to be a Christian? If I can't go to church, meaning if I can't go to the building to worship on Sunday morning, then what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, that is not to say when we gather physically in a building on Sunday morning, that's not important. It is. And that is not the totality of our faith. That is an aspect of our faith. The rest of our faith, and I think... Right? The other six days of the week, or the other, I don't even know how many hours in a week, but you could, right? One small portion of our life, one hour a week spent in worship, right? But really, our faith is what happens the rest of the time. How are we participating in God's kingdom on a regular and daily basis? We will fail, right? This tells us much of, a lot of passage in Scripture tells us we will fail. That's the law. The gospel is, keep trying. It's okay that you fail. You are loved. You are forgiven. So live loved, lived forgiven. 
I like this quote about grace too, and I don't know where it comes from. What's so amazing about grace, it meets you where you are, but it does not leave you there. I'll be the first to admit I am far from a perfect person. Far from it. What I'm thankful about God is God loves me as I am. And through that love, I am made a better person. I hope I'm, I try to become a better person. That who I am is not who I always will be. And yeah, there will be ups and downs and times in which it seems like, oh, everything is humming along. And there are going to be times in which it's down here and I'm going to feel like that water, right? You know that feeling when that water level is right up here and you're just struggling to stay afloat. This isn't the reality. That's not going to last. Grace brings us from that into more of who God has called and created us to be. Thank God for that.